We made a decision to each other and a commitment that divorce was not an option for us, no matter what. It's just not an option. It's not an option to, to throw in the towel. Who am I to say, well, things aren't going so great now I walk? To throw it all away just seems uh, like a poor decision. Because when all you do is focus on all the negative things in your relationship, you're going to be down that road of destruction. Well, welcome everybody to the fifth and the final week of the series from this day forward. Today we're going to look at what may be the most important teaching in all five weeks. Before we start, let me ask you at all of our different churches, those of you that are married, um, how many of you would say that you married someone that was maybe a little bit different than you and opposite in different ways? How many of you married someone that's opposite in a lot of ways? Raise up your hands. It's interesting that when you're dating, they say that opposites attract, but when you're married, they say opposites attack, <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. What's cute when you're dating is not so cute when you're married. In fact, let me just get a survey at all of our different churches. Um, how many of you, you're the one who's punctual in your marriage? Getting somewhere on time matters a lot to you. How many of you would say you're more creative with your time? Just take your time, raise your hand at your own pace. It doesn't matter because... You can do it however you want to. Um, how many of you would say that in your marriage you like to plan a trip? You plan ahead. How many of you just kind of spin a bottle in whichever way it goes? You know, you drive that way until you run out of gas. Uh, when it comes to money, spenders, spenders, money is for having fun. Let's go. I'm buying savers, savers for the glory of God. Pass that offering plate by the spenders today <laughs> if you will. How about pancakes, fat, thick, fluffy dough balls? How many of you need correction today? Thin for the glory of God, raise up your hands. Opposites will often attract when dating, and the good news is that if you're different, that works because if you're both the same, then one of you is unnecessary, and God often brings those who are different together. The challenge is, so often in marriage, we end up with conflicts, and what starts out as something small then gets to be something bigger, and then there's mistrust, and then there's a lie, and then there's deceit, and, and then there's unforgiveness and bitterness, and before long, somehow you wake up, and there's two people living under the same roof, but they've got two totally different lives, and sometimes you ask the question, how do we go from being in love, where all the songs on the radio make sense, and we want to buy stuffed walruses and, and greeting cards uh, from that to divorce court where we're fighting over different things. And it can happen so quickly, and God does not want it to happen, and it doesn't have to happen that way. And that's why at our church we're making and keeping five commitments. If you've been with us, you know them. Let's say them aloud. Our first commitment is to what? To Seek God. What do we do? We seek the one with our two. We pray, we pray, we pray. We also what? We also fight fair. We have fun face to face, side to side, and help me out. Belly button to belly button. And we stay pure. We don't want any cat diarrhea in our chicken pot pie. And we never give up. Today I want to talk about never giving up in your marriage. And I'm going to bring the heat today, and I just want to say as I do, I'm not talking about you staying in an abusive marriage where you're a punching bag and someone just, just 
tears you up. In that case, I believe it's healthy to separate, to get counseling, to make sure you're safe, and then work on your marriage. So I don't want anybody getting roughed up, and if there is someone roughing you up, we want to go and make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, I am saying, though, in our marriage that we don't give up, and I'm going to teach that with quite a bit of passion today. I also want to say that for those of you that had a marriage that ended, you divorced, uh, I don't want you to feel a lot of guilt because chances are you've already felt a lot of guilt today, and I know a lot of you, you did everything you could to keep a marriage going, and someone else didn't work with you, and it ended, and you were devastated. Others of you, you might quite honestly say, looking back, I did a lot of things that were wrong, and if I could do it over, I'd do it differently, and you carry the weight of that. And what I want to do today is I want to forget about the past because we can't change it, but from our purposes, we're going to look from this day forward. And no matter what's happened in our marriages in the past, from this day forward, we as Christians are going to never give up because we serve a God who says all things are possible with him. So what I want to do today is start off in Matthew chapter 19, Matthew 19, and we'll look at verses 3 through 6, a very interesting conversation between the Pharisees and Jesus. Now, the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus and trip him up about the whole subject of marriage and divorce. Scripture says in verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, if you'll pause there for a moment, unfortunately, uh, during this time, uh, it's hard to imagine in our culture, but women were seen as property. Women were almost kind of like, you know, you got, you got your cow and you got your wife. And, and I don't mean that in any uh, way to belittle anybody, but, but that's the way it was in that culture. And so a man could just say, I don't want you, and divorce his wife. And so the Pharisees are trying to put Jesus in this kind of little trap and say, what's he going to say about this? And we're going to watch as Jesus shocks everybody there. He doesn't just raise the standard a little bit or a lot or a whole lot, but he takes the standard all the way to the top and shocks every listener who would have been there. He says in verse 4, hey, haven't you read, he replied, and then he's going to quote Genesis. He says that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, for the two will become what? All of you say it aloud. All of our churches, the two will become one flesh. They'll, the two will become one flesh. He goes on to say, so they are no longer two, but what are they now? He said, but they are one. Now, what he's not saying is you no longer have a personality or you no longer have gifts or, or you no longer have any identity. But what he is saying is that the two are now in God's eyes, one flesh united before God. And that's why he said, therefore, what God has joined together, everybody help me out. Therefore, with whom? With God, the one that God has joined together, he says, let man not separate. This would be like taking two pieces of paper, the husband and the wife, 
and super gluing the pieces of paper together from the bottom to the top and side to side. These two pieces of paper then are stuck and they are one. Why do you think a divorce hurts so much? It's like ripping your heart out. Those of you who've been divorced, you know the pain. Those of you whose parents divorced, you know the pain. No matter what you believe about it, theologically, you know the pain. Because what's happening is if I try to rip two pieces of paper that have been glued apart, what's going to happen? This is going to get messy. There's going to be rips and tears and pieces are going to go different ways. And that's why divorce is incredibly painful because like my friend Andy Stanley says, you can't unone what God made one. You can't unone what God made one. And the problem in our culture is people don't understand what marriage is. They think marriage is an agreement or a contract. But the reality is marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Everybody say that. Marriage is what? Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. If you're taking notes, write this down. What is a contract? What's it based on? Well, a contract is based on mutual distrust. It's based on mutual distrust. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. What is a contract? It's based on mutual distrust. What does a contract do? Well, a contract limits my responsibility and it increases my rights. It basically says if we're in a contract with one another, I'm in as far as you're in. For example, uh, since I was uh, 19, I, 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 when I was 19, I bought my first rent home and I've had rent homes on and off um, for my whole marriage. And if someone rents from me and I don't know them, I have them sign a contract. Why? It's because I don't trust them and they're not gonna trust me. And basically it says I'm in as far as you're in. If you don't do what you've agreed to do, then I can remove you. And for your benefit, if I don't do what I said I'd do, you have judgment against me. I trust you as far as you perform. If you don't live up to my expectations, I am out. And that's what so many people do with marriage. Hey, as long as you make me happy, if you meet my needs, as long as nothing better comes along, then we'll stick with this. But if you don't live up to your end of the contract, then I'm out. But marriage is not a contract. What is it? It is a, it's a covenant. What's a covenant? Well, a covenant is a permanent relationship. That's what it is. God is a covenantal God, and God makes relationships with his people that are permanent. In fact, the Hebrew word that's translated as covenant is the word bereath, and literally, it means a cutting. In the Old Testament, they would cut a bull in half, and then they would, the two parties would walk through the inside of the bull seven times to create a covenant. They would cut the bull in half, and they'd say, if I break my covenant, may what happened to that bull happen to me. In other words, this is serious business. In the Old Testament, the way people would often get married is they would come and stand before a representative of God who would then take the hand of the groom and cut into it with the blade until blood would emerge. And then he would take the hand of the bride and cut into it until blood would emerge. And then he would take their hands and join them together. 
Why? Because Leviticus says the life of the person is in the blood. And they would literally mingle life and then they would clasp their hands together and the priest would take a cord or a rope and tie their hands together to symbolize that they are no longer two, but now they are one. What God has joined together, do not let man separate. You don't un-one what God made one. They are joined together and the two have become one flesh. And that's why I am a big believer in don't just compromise and go let anybody marry you, you know, the justice of the peace. And if you've done that, it's not the end of the world. But if you still have a choice, come and stand before a pastor in a church and answer to God, just like I did. Craig, do you take Amy to be your wife? to having to hold from somebody, help me out, from this day forward, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, forsaking all others. Be faithful to her as long as she makes you happy. No, 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 no. As long as she fulfills her part of the deal. No, 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 no. As long as nobody better comes along. No, 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 no. What, what is it? As long as you both shall live. There's no end date on this. On a contract, there's an end date. You rent this house from me for a year. At the end of the year, you're through. A covenant, it is until death do us part, so help me God. And that's why we never give up, because we don't unwind what God made one. Now, now, what happens when marriage is difficult? What happens when it's painful? I had the great honor, I was with Bobby Grunewald on our staff, the creator of YouVersion, and we got to spend um, an afternoon with uh, Mr. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, and we got to go um, to his home, and it was a tremendous honor, and we heard stories and such, and, and Ruth Graham, who passed uh, away years ago, uh, she struggled at times with his travel schedule. He'd be gone up to six months at a time. And you can imagine raising kids um, without her husband there, how difficult it was. And one time a reporter said, did you ever consider divorcing Billy when there were hard times in your marriage? And she said, I never considered divorcing Billy. I considered murdering him at times, <laughs> but never divorce. And, and the reality is when we make a covenant before God, we will keep that covenant before God no matter what. What you may say is, but I'm not happy, and I don't trust him, and she's not this, and she's not that. I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. Listen, to get divorced because you've run out of love that's like selling your car because you've run out of gas. To, to get divorced because it's not going well is like selling your car because you're out of gas. What do you do? You refill the love. And, and don't get me wrong, I know there'll be those times when you go, but I don't have any more love. I don't have any more forgiveness. And I don't have any more grace. I've done everything that I can. And guess what? That's when your seeking God really pays off. Because when you don't have any love, guess who loves through you? The God who is love. It's not something that he does. It's 
who he is. He is love. And then therefore God forgives through you when you can't forgive. And God loves through you when you can't love. And here's the crazy thing for those of you that are Christians. If you're not, this really isn't for you. But if you are, you cannot say, I love God, but hate my husband. Scripture says you cannot say you love God, but hate your brother. If you truly love God, then you will seek him. And as hard as it gets, and believe me, I know it can get very difficult. You let God do what you don't have the strength to do, and you let him continue to love through you. Now, what do you do? What do you do when you're trying and you you're seeking God, and you're hoping to love, and you're just not getting anywhere. What do you do? Well, I just want to encourage you to remember the principles of sowing and reaping in marriage. For those of you not married yet, this can be such a good foundational teaching for you. Remember the principles of sowing and reaping, and let's just cover them briefly. Galatians 6, 7, 8, and 9, Scripture says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Somebody help me out. All of our churches, what, what, is, what happens to a man? A man reaps what he sows. Verse 8 says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. That's one reason we stay pure. We're not going to sow for our sinful nature. It goes, goes on to say, the one who sows to please the Spirit, we seek God, we seek God, we seek God, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Verse 9. Now, for some of you, this is the verse you must hang on to. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, what will we do? We will what? We will reap a harvest if we what? Say it aloud. If we do not give up. We'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let me give you two principles of sowing and reaping in your marriage. The first one is you reap what you sow. Everybody say that. What is the first one? Number one is you reap what you sow. Again, all of our churches, say it aloud. You reap what you sow. If I put an apple seed in the ground, will I get an orange tree out of the ground? The answer is no. What am I going to get? I'm going to get an apple tree, right? Because I put an apple seed in. I reap what I sow. If someone smiles at you, <laughs> what are you likely to do back? You're likely to smile back. You reap what you sow. If somebody flips you off, what are you likely to do back? Pray for them and bless them because you're a Christian. <laughs> Don't be pulling that peel the banana back on somebody, right? But if not, I mean, someone flips you off, you're like, rah, 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 who do you think you are? Come on, you know, I'm going to drive, you know, you know and, and you're, you're not going to have a loving response. In marriage, if someone shows grace and compassion and thoughtfulness, what are you likely to show back? Grace. And if someone is always complaining and, and comparing and is always critical over and over and over. What's going to happen? You're likely to come back with defensiveness and anger and self-justification and things that are not good. The harvest depends on the seeds that you plant. Now, men, don't miss this. You have to remember, men, that women are multipliers. They're multipliers. Whatever you give them, they multiply. Okay? You give them 
uh, your bachelor pad, and it's the bachelor pad. And they come in, they, they do their women thing. And they make that thing into a home where things match and smell good. You're like, how'd they do that? They multiply. You, you give them groceries. You know, you're like trying to make a spam dinner. I mean, you give them, and they come in, and they make this meal that's better than anything that you've ever deserved. They multiply. You give them flowers and affection and communication and tenderness and your heart. They're going to give you some belly button to belly button. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Right? They will. Ladies, is that true? I mean, don't leave me out hanging. You're, like, you're more in the mood to get the belly button going when there's some romance in the house, okay? You give them your physical love, and they'll give you a kid. They multiply. They multiply. You give them a lot of love, and they'll give you six kids. Okay? They're multipliers. Guys, you give them a hard time, They'll give you hell. Amen. They're multipliers. Someone on the front row shouted amen, okay. So here's the bottom line, men and women. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you've been giving. Ooh, that's good preaching. Somebody say, ouch, ouch. If you don't like what you've been getting, look at what you've been giving. Not, don't point your finger at them. You look at what you have, well, I'm always right, I'm always, no, 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 you're arrogant and you're judgmental, okay? Look at what you've been giving. You reap what you sow. The second thing is you reap where you sow. Everybody say that aloud. Where, what, what? You reap where you sow. If I plant a seed over here, am I going to get a tree over here? No, 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 no. If I plant all my energy and all my effort and all my passion into my hobby, is that going to help my marriage be better? No, I'm gonna get better at golf or hunting or knitting or gardening, but it's not gonna help my marriage. If I put all my energy into my kids and we become child-centered parents, is that going to help my marriage? Again, the answer is no. If I put all my energy and effort into my career, is that going to help my marriage? The answer is no, it's not. And honestly, that's where some of you are right now. Can I just say that lovingly? That's where you are right now. Why, why are things not going great? Because you haven't been seeing God haven't been finding fear, haven't been having fun, haven't been staying pure. That's why you feel like giving up. Remember, God is the one, our spouse is the two. We have to guard the priority. If anything else moves into that number two slot, our marriage isn't going to be what God wants it to be. Here's what Amy and I decided early in our marriage. I'm telling you this one statement for some of you, this is all you need, five weeks, this one statement. And it's going to seem simple, but don't miss the power in it. We decided that our marriage will be as good as we decide it to be. That's it. It's as good as we decide. 
you ought to write this down. Write it down. Our marriage is as good as we decide for it to be. Then circle the word we and circle the word decide. Because don't think for a minute just because we're pastors, we don't have problems. We got the same problems that you have. We live in a sinful world, but we decided that we'll seek God and forgive and love. And we decided we'll fight fair. We're not going to fight to win. We're going to fight for resolution. And we decided we're going to have fun. And we decided to stay out of trouble and, and, and stay pure. And we decided not to give up. But the key is it takes both of us as one. And I know all day long some of you are saying, well, I'm trying and he's not, or I'm trying and she's not. And I acknowledge it's going to take two. It's going to take two. And some of you right now, you need to let God speak to you that you are one. You don't unone what God made one. So since you're one, you might as well decide what kind of marriage you're going to have. Is it going to be a bad one or is it going to be a good one? And it can be as good as you decide. That's my take on it. Now I want to let you hear from Amy. Well, Amy, two weeks ago, my voice was bad, and then I gave it to you, and now... We're passing it back and forth. Passing it back and forth. Well, we talked about um, investing in our marriages and planting seeds. How are some different ways that we pour into our marriage? We are just totally committed to one another. And at the start of our marriage, we read a quote from Ann Landers that we are going to neglect the whole world rather than each other. And I think that is so key in marriage that we go the same direction. We don't neglect each other for other things. Sure, we do other things, but our marriage is priority. And we've had to work at that because of course we have a lot of things that pull us um, away from each other. But we prioritize our marriage and make it uh, a high commitment in our lives. Well, it's so true. We have to keep our marriage in the right place of priority. And unfortunately, when one or both don't, the marriage suffers. And I know we've got so many marriages in our church with people that are really exhausted, worn out, and hurting, and maybe one or both want to give up. What advice would you have for a couple who's in that spot? I think everybody can understand that it is not easy. There are so many complications and different situations in marriages that, that make it so hard. But to me, the, the main thing that we have to always do is to pray for our spouse pray for them. If it seems like they've become the enemy, pray all the more because the Bible says that we should bless our enemies and do good to them and pray for them. And the work that it does in our hearts is huge as well as, you know, God being able to affect their heart. And, you know, marriages aren't going to work if we can't humble ourselves. And I, if I don't do my part, we've got to be humble and give grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy that God's given to us. And so we just have to remember that. And when we pray, we know that with God, all things are possible. Well, as you can tell in the last five weeks, I'm married to an amazing woman. And if you agree, why don't you give her some honor to say it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, before we close out today, let's just get down to where we all live. Some of you right now, you're going to say, okay, Groeschel, I heard you, all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. I still don't feel it. I don't feel like being nice. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't, I don't feel like showing grace. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like working on it. I don't feel like staying married. I don't feel like it. 
so I'm not going to. Okay, big boy, what other area of your life can you make that excuse and get away with it? Name another significant area. Well, I don't feel like working this year because I'm tired of working, so I'm not going to work this year. Well, you don't work, you don't eat. Well, I don't feel like taking care of my kids anymore. I'm tired of the baby crying all the time, my kids, you know, needing me. I just don't want to be a parent anymore. What do you do? You overcome those feelings and you go be a parent. Well, I don't feel like paying taxes. I mean, I'm just sick of taxes and I don't want to pay taxes anymore. Is that going to work? Not for long. So what do you do? You get over your feelings and you do what's right. You get over your feelings by the power of God and you do what's right. Now, when I say we're not giving up, what I'm not saying is, so we're just going to clinch and have a bad marriage for the rest of our life, but bless God, we're going to stay married, <laughs> and it's going to be horrible. Know what I'm saying? It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're never going to give up on having a God-honoring and God-blessed marriage. Therefore, we never stop seeking God. We pray. We don't stop. We never stop fighting fair. We're going to fight? Yeah, but we don't stop fighting fair. We're going to have fun. We're going to make time. We're going to stay pure. We're going to fight so hard against all the temptations in this world, and we're going to stay pure. And we are never, ever going to give up because, Scripture says, don't grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, could it be that this isn't quite yet the time God's timing is not always our timing. For at the proper time, Scripture says, you'll reap a harvest. What could your harvest be like? I don't know, but let me give you some ideas. If you will keep seeking God, fighting fair, having fun, staying pure, and never giving up, if you continue to make God your one and seek him with your two, if you forgive when you've been hurt and confess sin when you need to confess and work through issues and get counseling when you need it and get help from your life group when you need it and take three steps forward and sometimes two steps back, but you put your head back down and you get back in the game. Why? Because this isn't a contract or an agreement. This is a covenant before a holy God. And if you do that, what could happen? Let me tell you, you could have a testimony. Look where we were and look what God did. You wouldn't believe how bad I was, but look how God has changed me to be. You wouldn't believe how unfaithful I was as a husband, but oh my gosh, God has changed me into a man of God. You wouldn't believe how neglectful I was of my marriage, but now we have. You wouldn't believe that our children look on and say, mom and dad have integrity before God. Mom and dad made it through some hard times, but their word before God means something, and you can have a spiritual legacy if you seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, and never give up, and do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not, you do not give up. And we don't give up, because we didn't make an agreement, we made a covenant with a holy God. Father, I thank you today that your spirit is going to speak life and hope into those that are hurting. And God, I know, I know there are some who feel like there is no way possible. 
And God, I pray that you would build faith. And I pray that supernaturally there would be miracles and there would be forgiveness and there would be healing, God, as we seek you and never give up. As you pray today at all of our different churches, some of you are married, others of you are, are not married, but one day will be. What I'd ask you to do is just think about your marriage or your future marriage as a covenant and not a contract. Those of you who would say, I really do, I want to see this as something that is um, what I do before God, what we do before God, what, what, that we honor God with the relationship that he's given us, that we're not in a contractual agreement, that we are one or we will be one before a holy God. I want to see my marriage or my future marriage as a covenant all in till death do us part. Would you lift up your hands right now, just all over the place, just hands up all over. God, I thank you for those who are not yet married, who are making decisions today that will be a foundation of righteousness for a harvest of righteousness in their marriage in the future. God, I thank you for those who are married that have good marriages and you'll make them better. And God, especially for those who are hurting and struggling and maybe hanging on by a thread, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what they cannot do, that you would love through them, that you would forgive through them. God, that you would bring restoration when it seems impossible. And God, I pray that we would have the faith to seek you, to fight fair, to have fun, to stay pure, and by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, through Christ who makes all things possible, that we would never give up. Even when it seems hopeless, God, we trust you will plant the right seeds and trust you for the harvest at the proper time. As you keep praying today at all of our different churches, I want to tell you about an incredible verse about God's love. Scripture says in Hebrews that he endured the pain of the cross. Jesus, who was without sin, who became sin for us. When he did, God looked away and he cried out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He never gave up when he was being beaten, when he was being tortured, when he was being mocked by those that he created. He never gave up. Why did he not give up? Scripture says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the pain. What is the joy? What is the joy that was set before him? Let me tell you what the joy is. You are the joy. You are the joy. When you come into a relationship with God because of what Jesus did, you are his joy. He did it for you because our sins have separated us from a holy God. You know it and I know it. But in his love and mercy, God sent Jesus to die and be raised to life so that anyone who calls on his name would be saved. Jesus endured the pain of the cross because you were the joy set before him. Today when you call on his name, there will be angels in heaven who rejoice because every sin you've ever committed will be forgiven and you'll be brand new. And that's why you're here today at all of our different churches. Those of you who say, that's me. I'm no longer playing around. I want to give him my whole life, every bit of it. I give it to him. Today, I give you my life. That's your prayer. Would you lift your hands high right now? Just lift them up and say, yes, 
That's my prayer. Church online, you click right below me as there are hands going up at all of our different churches today. I'd love it if you would all pray aloud with me. Pray, Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could serve you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Life Church, all of our locations, would you celebrate, would you shout, would you cheer, would you worship God for new life in Christ?